0: Okay, Uh, Exodus 35, starting verse 1. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Okay, so right, we just jumped right into this. Um, and uh, it's, you know, kind of throwing out this uh, <laughs> this reminder about the Sabbath. So we have to understand, okay, what's the context? Um, so uh, Moses is gathering the whole the community again because they have just sort of been restored, confirming the covenant. And uh, they are about to actually start doing the stuff that they should have been doing. Um, And so just so that, you know, for everybody's uh, context, I'm I'm making a lot of assumptions about, like that you've been with us up through um, Exodus 35. And um, if if, uh, I can go back, I'll just do the the really brief summary. So, children of uh, the Israelites leave uh, Egypt. They go to, um, th- there's all the plagues and all that stuff. Uh, they get to the, uh, God leads them out. They cross over the Red Sea. They end up kind of wandering around for a little bit. They end up uh, uh, down by this mountain, and they have camp set up. That's where Moses goes up, gets the law, um, from God and returns, and he says, okay, this is what God says, and everyone, all the Israelites say, yes, we agree. And then Moses goes back up, meet, meeting with God, and that's when all the Israelites decide that Moses is dead or Moses is gone. He's been up on the mountain for too long, and um, so they ask Aaron to build a, uh, an idol for them. And they have uh, this revelry uh, and commit these, all, these, this great sin. And uh, so then Moses comes back down. And there's this, you know, he's, uh, he's said, as you can imagine, the, you've got to feel for the guy. He's got to be, like, embarrassed, right? You know? He's been representing um, his people before God. And they've seen all these things. So, yeah, uh, the embarrassment is definitely a, a part of uh, the way M- Moses must feel. So he's angry, and uh, he goes and pleads the case of the Israelites before God again, and God restores them. He says, yes, we're going we're to keep moving forward on, in this covenant. So Moses is acting um, as this mediator between God and the people, and um, he just finishes meeting with God. His face is literally radiant, um, and that's what uh, Jeremy talked about last week. And so now he's assembled the community, and um, he says, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Okay? So we've got the whole community there, um, and they're about to start the work of building out the uh, tabernacle. So it's this is a, the context of work, and so God reminds them, or, or, uh, it, Moses reminds them how you're supposed to work. Six days on, one day off. That's it. It's, pr- it's very, it's like practical advice. But we know that they need to hear this because they just really kind of messed up. <laughs> All right. So, um, I, you know, there's the whole thing about being put to death and we're going to, um, that's how serious, uh, this is. Um, God takes his, his law seriously. And um, yeah, we're gonna just leave it at that. Okay, so the next slide, our uh, next passage here um, is uh, four, verses four through nine. So Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, and other types of durable leather, Acacia wood, olive oil for the lights, spices uh, for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Okay, this is a, again, <laughs> the title of this is, didn't we just read that? And yes, we did just read that in Exodus 25. So this is a repeat, like verbatim repeat of all the stuff that they're supposed to bring. So um it's there's a lot of like these are all nice kind of precious things and uh if you want to hear about their significance and why they're these using these materials you can listen to the uh other uh the, the, yeah the other people that spoke uh, a couple weeks back um okay but the one thing that really there's one thing that really stands out here is that these are um in, in verse 4, he says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Okay, so a command. What do we think about when we hear a command? It is in order. This is what you are to do, right? And then in verse 5, he says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord, everyone who is willing. So what is this? Is this a command or is this something that we're just an option? It is something that we're willing to do? Um, so we're going we're to talk about this idea of what's a command and what's a willing offering. Um, and we're going to look at it in context of what we're actually talking about on Sunday. Um, so if we look at um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we see, when we read that story, a whole echo back to this um, so what, what's happening? So I think we have uh, the, whole, the whole passage of uh, Acts 4. And I'm going to read it again. It's a, a little bit of a long passage. Um, so the, uh, starting in 34, uh, there were no needy uh, persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought money from the sale, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph a uh, Levite from Cyprus, who uh, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, and together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that he has... Some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down dead at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fears seized the whole community and all who heard about these events. Okay, a bit of a long passage here. But as you read this, the, there's a contrast, right, between somebody willingly giving to the Lord um, and those who felt compelled to give. And this is what we're talking about here uh, as they're collecting all of these articles for the temple or for the uh, um, tabernacle. So there's also in this, there's another neat parallel in that in the story in Exodus, they're building out a place to meet with God, the tabernacle. That's where the Spirit of God came to meet with man. That's where this restoration back to echoing back to Eden, where man and God lived together. We have this little place now called the the, the tabernacle, where God is and where people can come and meet with him. And that's what all these articles in the temple are about, and that's what, you know, all the symbols. So just like that, in Acts, we have a new new, uh, tabernacle, the the, the church being established. And we have the same story of somebody who is willing to give and who are not willing to give, or being commanded to give and i just find it really interesting that we're commanded we're commanded to give willingly but that's a that's a strange balance so that's how 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 we execute that well it's it's about your heart right it's about how you're um uh perceiving your stuff and and it's about how uh, you, how you behave with it one more thing we're going to look at is hebrews uh Chapter 12, verse 2, and I'll read the, uh, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary in his heart. Okay, so here in Hebrews, we have this amazing description of Jesus' work as a willing sacrifice. The way it's, it's described here, it's the joy set before him. Think about what Jesus is, is uh He's a human, right? I mean, he's fully human and he has to give up his life. Um, and he considers that a joy. So when we, when we consider giving, th- when we consider our possessions, how are we, how are we, how are we deciding what we do with them? And what's joyful about them? Um, I just find that this this little little uh, scripture in Exodus here really has a lot of these a lot, much deeper implications when we start to uh, kind of scratch away at the surface. I read this, you know, uh, I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we possibly going to talk about when it's, this is a, literally a repeat of chapter 25? And I'm like, oh wow, these are things that we could really be reflecting on. Like, what am I? What is? What am I commanded to do? And what am I willing to give away? Okay, uh, so let's keep going. Um, we're going to uh, Exodus chapter, or, sorry, thirty-five to ten. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its coverings, clasps, frames, and crossbars, posts, and bases. The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtains uh, that shield it. The table with its poles and all the articles and bread of the presence. The lamps in that is for the light with its accessories, lamps, and oil for the lights. The altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and fragrance incense, The curtain for the doorways at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles, and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases and the curtains for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and uh, for the courtyard, and the ropes, the woven garment garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Uh, that is exhausting to read. I'm sorry, it's pretty hard to listen to as well. Um, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's really interested in trains? Um, or some other pretty obscure topic? Um, I actually just had. I was just in a meeting today with somebody who is uh, interested in chains. He, he lives out in um, uh, uh, Wyoming, I think. I think he's in Wyoming. But he traveled back to Virginia because they are running. A, they uh, were running a steam engine, um, and there was a. You know, they pulled it out, and he's. You know, called the number of the steam engine. He's a great guy, but he and his son like literally flew back because hey, this is. You know, this steam engine was coming out now I'm going to do a little tour. Um, and you hear people describe things that they're excited about, right? And they don't mind repeating it. Um, hey, I, I just got this bike and, you know, look at these new pedals. They have, you know, these bearings that are like really super awesome. And I bought them, and, you know, and you just go on and on. And oh, I could have bought the red ones, but I bought the blue ones, right? I, I get that when I'm reading, reading this. Um, you know, I have a hard time honestly being excited, you know, reading this, but I can, I can, I can imagine if you are, these are, these are the instructions on how the Israelites were to meet with God, right? I mean, that's what, it's, it's exciting. Um, so that's it. That's all I got from that passage. Okay. So we're going to keep going uh, to verse 20 through 29, and it's going to be a little bit more of the same. Um, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of the meeting, for all of its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat's hairs, or ramskins skins, dyed red, or the other durable leather, brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn of fine linen. All right, I've got to finally pull out the glasses. All right, and all the women who were willing, uh, okay, the leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the rust plate. They also brought spices of olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord uh, through Moses had commanded them to do. A lot of the same theme, right? Uh, I'm, I'm hearing it again. Willingness, being commanded, um, a lot of details. Uh, okay, so what are we going to take out of this? Uh, okay, so one thing I thought was interesting is this, uh, description here, different from what we read, what we read pre- previously, is, that this is a wave offering. And uh, a wave offering is, uh, in order to understand a little bit more about it, we have to go uh, forward into Leviticus, which we'll do in a second. Um, But it's about the first fruits. And so the first fruits, you would, it was about harvest, like the very first thing that you could eat from the crop, you would pick a little bit of it and bring it before God and wave it. Um, and that was this idea of hope for what is to come, right? So when all the people here are taking all of their stuff, and they're supposed to present it as a, as a wave offering, as um, they're kind of like their first fruits, that's what we're supposed to be thinking about, and it's hope for what's to come. I'm taking off my, my earring, which is gold, and I'm going to give it, and you're going to turn it into this lampstand here, which is going to be part of what brings us into the presence of God. So, uh, all right, so let's look over at Leviticus. And this is one thing that I have to, definitely have to use reading less. Okay, Leviticus chapter 23. This is about the... Uh, about the uh, Feast of first fruits. Okay, so the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He's to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb of one year old without defect. Together with its grain offering, et cetera. Okay, so it says then in verse six. This is the lasting ordinance for generations to come, wherever you live. This wave offering is its hope. It's hope for what's to come. And I just again I think of uh, of like somebody having hey I've got this. One. You know, this piece of wood here, and you know, this acacia wood, and I, I'm going to I'm going to give it give it to you. A willing offering. Okay, so out of this uh passage, another thing that we notice that's different, specifically different, from when we read this almost verbatim before is the tense change. And I know this is a little grammatic, but it goes from the future tense to the present tense. So bring is brought, make is made. And so what's happening is the people, when they were told to do this stuff before, they didn't actually do it. Now they're being told to do it, and they're actually doing it. They're actually bringing the stuff. To be made, you know, to to make the uh, tabernacle, and so this is bringing up in me this whole concept of are we hearers or doers, and there's a lot in in the scripture about whether we're hearers and or doers. We're going to look at a couple uh, uh, things here. One is from James uh, chapter one, verse nineteen through twenty-seven. Okay. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the world but does not do Religion that our God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. As we look at what it means to be a, uh, not just a hearer but a doer, um, I'm, I, I read this and the thing that is standing out to me is that if we just listen only, we're deceiving ourselves. Um, it's, it's interesting to be deceived when I, I really like to learn. I like to hear and, and, and um, I love listening to educational TV or, you know, podcasts. Um, and I just love taking in knowledge. But to just take in knowledge um, I often feel, I I think I'm actually often deceiving myself because I think I'm actually making myself better or making a difference. But if I don't actually do anything with the knowledge that I just took in, what good is it? I, I think I've just, I think I've actually deceived myself into thinking that I'm I'm like really a better person <laughs> than I am, right? Um, so when I just listen to the news and say, "Oh yeah, I really understand what I think is what's going on." So what? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's good good for me, I guess. Um, all right. So what else do we learn about being hearers versus doers? Um, Look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues. That's what James says here. Um, we don't think about looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. That's the, you know we don't think about laws giving freedom, right? That's a bit of a uh, oxymoron for most people uh, in there and to hear those words together. Um, But the law of Jesus, that's freedom. I think we all all know that if we've experienced Jesus and we've experienced the grace of knowing a God who loves us and forgives us again and again and again. So let's look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it. It's part of being a doer, right? Um, okay, so what's the fruit? What's the fruit that James talks about? If we're going to talk about doing, I, I like the fact that he gets really practical. And I love that he calls um, uh, the religion that, that um, God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're talking about a space in Exodus here where it's a restoration. It's a place uh, like Eden where God is now meeting together with his people. And when you see widows and orphans and people in distress, those are the people that need to be brought in and be shown what Eden is. Right? And we have been equipped with the knowledge of this freedom. Uh, that doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's not always logical in, in how we understand this freedom. Um but we we have that ability to go out and meet these needs and bring a tabernacle of uh of peace, of hope, of joy, whatever it is, into widows. Orphans in their distress. Okay, well, that's, that's what we got for, uh, for that part. All right, we're going to move on to Exodus uh, 35, 30 through 35, which is actually the, um, the last little bit. Okay, then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen... Bezael, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and to set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Oliab, son of Ashikmakh, son of the tri- tribe of Dan. The ability to teach others, he has filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers. All of them skilled workers and designers. Okay, again, this is a 100% copy of what we had uh, read before uh, back in uh, this time, it's in Exodus chapter 31. But we'll just do a little bit of, of repeat. I, l- <laughs> I really love the fact that God gives his spirit to tradespeople to do things excellent. Um, I think that I mean, so often I think about the spiritual, and I consider knowledge, and I consider you know the ability to speak, uh, or write, um, uh, maybe counseling, right? Uh, what are the kind? Of, you know, those are the kind of things that I think of when you know the spirit is really giving me this this wisdom to you know write this book. Um, but this is really practical stuff. The, this is like you know people who can hammer on a piece of metal well and make something beautiful i i'm not a very crafty person um I'm, i i don't really even enjoy craft i like you know construction and building and, and things but uh i've always admired people who are very artistic um because they they have what i don't have or they have this ability to like paint and create something that like, oh, wow. I remember being in high school and just seeing these kids who were, like, young, and they would just, like, be able to just draw, like, they have a concept, and like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to draw it out. I can't do that. Like, I can barely make a straight line. Um, so I just love the fact that God equipped these people to build these beautiful articles, again, to bring people into the presence of God. Um, and like it was for, it it was it was these two guys. But as we re- read in the previous passage, it was like everyone. Hey, everyone who can do this stuff, should. So I, I I really like that. I think that's a, it's very it's very practical. It's very uh, encouraging. Uh, one thing that's different here that I'm going to point out is uh, that's not in Exodus 31. And so because of the difference, I thought thought maybe hey, maybe we should talk about that. It's um the ability to teach is mentioned here. So when you read Exodus 31, basically reads the exact same thing, but then here he says um, that, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Oliab, I'm gonna just say, uh, has the ability to teach others. That's from verse 34. I'm like, oh, well, oh so that, that's, a, that's a pretty good thing, right? This is like, it's, it's great to be a good craftsman and to be able to you know, hammer out that metal perfectly. But it's really important, if you're going to be building a pretty big project, that you can teach others. Um, and you know, it's a spirit, spiritual gift as well, in this case. All right, well, that, that brings us to the end, more or less, in terms of the, the actual reading of the, uh, the, the text. But I did want to talk a little bit about this idea of why is this repeated? Um, Because it is, and this is just the first part of this repetition, and when you read through the rest of the law, it is over and over and over again. Um, This was a long time ago, and they didn't have paper plants that were pumping out, you know, paper. (laughs) Um, This was like, if you're going to write on paper, it's going to be a process to get the paper. Um, If you're going to write it down on a stone, it's going to be a lot of work, right? So why, why is it important to repeat these details in this book that everybody's going to have to read? This is, and um, I think it's important to, to consider that, like you get forced to, if you ever have to read through this book, to repeat over and over again. So right off the bat, we kind of know that repetition represents importance, right? I still have a hard time with reading some of this stuff and saying, oh, that's important. You know, I mean, I, I, I know it is, but like, really? Like, can't we just say reference, you know, go back, you know, do it the way I told you. Um, like, we, that's the way we do it now, right? Uh, we'd, be, we'd be dense. Um, so there's gotta be something else, right? And I'll be honest that I, I don't think I've, fully grasped why we're repeating over and over again. Um, But there is some things that I think we should um, consider. And I'm going to, the concept is this, that we remember through story, and if you've ever read the laws of the state of New Hampshire, um, or any kind of laws um, uh, t- textbook, they just they go one ear and out the other, right? And it's really hard to make any practical application of them. So by taking a law or you know a command and putting into a narrative context. Um, All of a sudden, it becomes practical, and you can then apply it. Uh, And so I think what we see here is a repetition of things that we need to know, things that are important, placed in slightly different contexts, right? Like, in what we read here, we knew that the Sabbath was important because we read about it in chapter 25. But the people are about to build stuff, and they need to know you're not gonna work straight out for seven days and then well there's no seven days anymore it's just you just keep working if you're not going to stop um so okay we got some context there like this is for your benefit this is for your health Um, so that's that's like that's part of a that's part of the rest of the the book uh of the chapters that we're going to read And it's interesting because we see this also in modern business books. (laughs) And I I have a little uh, example here. This is um, uh, an article about Malcolm Gladwell. Um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a bunch of books and they're not really businessy books. They're kind of like practical, psychological, like um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe them. Um, very good, but this is this is um, what this article, uh, this person is saying about the business books now that they're starting to use narrative to instead of just saying, "Hey, here are five principles that you should have to have an effective team. You should do, you know, meet on time. And you should, you know, you know, end on time." Well. Nobody cares about that, but if you write that in the context of a a narrative, then all of a sudden you have this practical understanding and you can apply the concept. All right, so this is uh, what this uh, writer said. Malcolm Gladwell, arguably one of the best writers of our time for his ability to combine ideas from across multiple disciplines, introduces us to the story of an art dealer in the beginning of his book, Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. In the early 1980s, Gianfranco Benicini went to the Getty Museum in California with a proposition. He had a statue called Corios, a rare gem often found badly damaged in perfect condition. After deliberating for 18 months and with the help of a scientist who observed the statue under a microscope, the museum decided to purchase the piece. Turns out the statue was a perfect forgery. The truth only came out when several art historians and experts convened at a conference in Greece to observe the statue in greater detail and came to an agreement together. They couldn't figure out why they felt that way, but they knew in a matter of seconds after seeing the statue in person that something was not right. What Gladwell did with this story and many others in Blink is showcase how important our first instincts are. Decisions made very quickly can be uh, every bit as good as decisions made cautiously and deliberately. He says, he posits, He posits that in the first few seconds of any given situation, our brains, whether consciously or not, makes an immediate decision with little facts. Gladwell's book is perhaps one of the greatest marriages of business and psychology. The way that our brains work when it comes to decision-making is perhaps more intuition than it is about deliberate conscious thought. Okay, so (laughs) the concept there is that Malcolm Gladway figured out that if he wanted to get an idea across, he's going to write a story about it. And this was a little example about a statue that was fake um, and, you know, in the context of uh, how we make decisions, right? So he could write a, a book to say, when you make a decision, do this. Um, but instead he put it in a narrative context. That's what we see. That's what, that's what we're seeing when we're read, reading through the book of Exodus. We're seeing a bunch of rules tucked in with little narratives and we're supposed to reflect on that. We're supposed to think about these things and meditate on them. And that, that's one, that's one of the clear takeaways. Um, I, I've got a couple other verses here. Uh, Joshua 1.8, 8. Says the book of the law, oh, uh, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Similarly, Psalm one two says, "But those whose delight is in the law, law of the Lord and who meditate on His law day and night." And then in Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So this idea of meditation and reflection, as we read through these hard-to-read sometimes Old Testament uh, passages, it's, it's part of the, the Christian walk. It's part of, um, how we interact with God. Um, and I think it's, it, it, it's a, it's an important concept for us to be taking away. Okay. So I have, um, some key ideas that we just discussed. So this is, this is it. After, after I go through these ideas, we're done. Okay. Um, So the first key idea: What do you have, and are you willing to give it up? Right, pretty straightforward. So you have stuff. Are you willing to? What are you willing to give up? Right, not commanded to give up, but what are you willing to give up? Ponder that, consider it. Right, that's something we should be thinking about as we meditate through this chapter. What brings you joy to give? Um, that's the second one. Uh I just I love the the idea that it was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross. It, 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 it is illogical. It just doesn't make sense. Um but what brings you joy to give up? What is so precious that you will give it up? Give um that you give anything for it. Okay, uh third one. What have you heard that you have not put into practice? Right? We're supposed to be uh, doers, much as hearers, right? Uh, something we should be meditating on. What have you heard through this past week, through just past half an hour, um, that you should be putting into practice? Uh, and then the last takeaway, last key idea is are you meditating on Scripture? I will tell you that I often will read through my passage for the day and then move on because I can click the button that says, yes, I've done it, right? Um, But that, you know, some some days that's what we have to do. Um, But I think we're really called, and we should take great joy in being able to meditate on Scripture and enjoy it. Okay, well, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father. Uh, we just love you, and we're thankful that uh, we can join together in a safe place, enjoy uh, the reading of your word, singing of uh, songs that bring you praise, the fellowship of each other. May we be good to each other. May we reflect on, uh, on your word and put it into practice. For your glory, for the glory of uh, your kingdom. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.